visit us at facebook.com slash securefreedom with Frank Gaffney. We're back, and I couldn't be more pleased to say we are joined by a man I admire greatly. We have been friends as well as colleagues for many years, and I'm very proud to say that he is these days, among other things, a senior fellow of our Center for Security Policy. His name is Dr. Zudi Jasser. He is a medical doctor by training. He is, though, in addition, a former uh, lieutenant commander in the United States Navy. He served um, during his time in uniform as an attending physician in the nation's capital, uh, the Congress of the United States specifically. He is, however, most importantly for the present purpose, the president of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy and uh, a co-founder of the Muslim Reform Movement and the author, among other things, of A Battle for the Soul of Islam. He's also a good friend, and I'm always thrilled to have a chance to visit with him. Dr. Jasser, thank you for taking some time um, on the eve of uh, this momentous uh, anniversary of 9-11. It's good to have you with us, sir. It's great to be with you, Frank, and uh, we've uh, come a long way together in the last 20 years, and it's been an honor to be at your side. And uh, I, I, I heard today that over 6 million people served, signed up to serve in the military since 9-11 over the last two decades. And as we remember them and uh, never forget what happened, uh, the trajectory of the war, which was uh, simply brought to our attention on 9-11 with the attacks on our homeland, uh, has evolved uh, quite a bit. And uh, uh, we have a lot to learn. We've taken a few steps forward and many steps backwards, and uh, we have a lot of work to do. Boy, that's so important, uh, particularly in two respects, Zudi. Let, let me ask you about the first, namely that the war didn't begin on 9-11. What do you mean by that, and what are you referring to as kind of uh, the opening salvo in the conflict? Well, listen, you know, as a Muslim, I'm a I'm first an American, but I'm, I'm a Muslim understanding that my faith is, uh, has a historical trajectory to it, and it's 15, it's about 1,440 years old now, and it hasn't gone through a reformation. It's still based, uh, run by theocrats, and those theocrats divide the world into Dar al-Islam and Dar al-Harb, the land of Islam and the land of war. And there's internecine battles inside the Islamist movement that always battles about what is the approach to the land of war, which is Western democracies, those who do not uh, live under Muslim majorities. And that internecine battle between those who want to do so sort of uh, subliminally, uh, civilizationally, versus those who want to do it frontally through chaos, uh, came to fruition on 9-11. On 9-11, the uh, Islamists of the Brotherhood got very upset with al-Qaeda because al-Qaeda uh, sort of unroofed and awakened uh, the West to the uh, mission of Islamists, which is to create Islamic states and join them through a global caliphate and then divide the world uh, so that they could uh, have a, a world uh, that would be subjugated uh, through what is now, for example, the neo-caliphate of the Organization of Islamic Cooperation and uh, al-Qaeda. Its main mission was to get America out of Saudi Arabia, out of uh, you know uh, their uh, influence on Muslim world, some countries, if you will. And uh, the Brotherhood was very upset with that. So uh, 9-11 basically was the first salvo in that. And uh, we've seen many other salvos uh, where terrorism uh, tries to uh, create an isolationist move, uh, not only militarily, but ideologically, really. And we've seen now that red-green axis come to fruition where the far left, the progressivists, are working so closely with the Islamists that that uh, focus on anti-Americanism, 
America that fault, trying to create America into a paper tiger and, and weakness so that they can advance their ideas. And nothing came, you know, not only was 9-11 a huge event, but 2011 was the second largest one, which was you had all these uh, uh, revolutions that happened. Uh, and uh, we thought it might be a way forward to stop the influence of petro-Islam upon the West, but actually it created vacuums that the Islamists jumped into and became even more of a threat since then. <laughs> That's such a rich buffet. I gotta, I've got to drill down on several different pieces of this, um, Zudi. So you're, you're basically saying that this war has been underway for a long time because people uh, under the banner of Islam, uh, not all Muslims subscribe to this program, and I know you don't, but under the banner of Islam nonetheless, um, those who point to Sharia as requiring them to engage in jihad to achieve the well through violent means the triumph of this sort of political ideological theological program over the entire world have been at it for quite some time al-qaeda under bin Laden brought it home to us in a very visible way but uh, you know for example there was a previous attack on the world trade center by these, uh, well, for want of a better term again, Sharia supremacists, and attacks on the coal and uh, attacks on embassies in Africa and so on. And all of these were events that reminded us of something that had been going on for a long time, namely a conflict between such jihadists and, uh, and those in the West. But now it was, it was very personal for many of us. And I think um, I'm fond of saying, and I'm sure everybody who lived through 9-11, you certainly did, you'll never forget where you were. You'll never forget the sentiments that uh, that attack aroused. But, but drill down a bit on this um, business about the Muslim Brotherhood. Who are these guys, Zudi? And um, you've been vilified by them for years, as have I, um, as have many who have stood up against them. Um, talk a little bit about what they call civilization jihad and how it well, maybe competes with, but also complements the violent kind. Yeah, and I think that that's just so important that people understand that uh, the Islamists, uh, those who believe in supremacy of Islamic states, where their legal construct is built on a constitution that they feel should be the Quran, and the interpretation of their clerics to be it, and that any modernization they may claim is simply Islamism 3.0, 4.0, whatever modernization of that medieval doctrine, which is theocracy and the interpretation of their men with beards uh, of how they should subjugate women, subjugate minorities. Uh, all of it uh, may feign modernization into the 21st century, but it's not. And uh, to me, as I've testified to Congress uh, uh, often uh, uh, with your with your help and organization, I've testified to them before that uh, the reality is this is a fight that America was founded on, which is a fight against theocracy. Now, there's differences with Muslims and Islam, but the bottom line is the Islamic establishment today is run by clerics and movements that are believers in the fact that uh, uh, they want to ascend Islamic rule in each of these states, especially where Muslims are a majority. And the biggest obstacle to them is the movement for re freedom, religious liberty. And uh, 
Muslims have a responsibility to fight this because if we don't wage it, it will never be won. And if there's anything we learned from the debacle in Afghanistan in the last few weeks, it's something that for some of us, it took me a while. I always thought that uh, I was maybe a, a bit naive thinking that, you know, if we defeated the Saddam Hussein and Assad's of the world, that uh, Muslims would eventually have pretty quickly democracies. But that's a bit of a naivete and uh, it's a more, more of a generational process. But the bottom line is, is you first have to soundly defeat Islamists. And that Islamist movement most highlighted on the Sunni side by the Muslim Brotherhood out of Egypt and on the Shia side by the Khomeinists out of Iran is all the same. It's a hydra that will, you cut off Al-Qaeda, you get ISIS. You cut off ISIS, uh, you get, uh, uh, you know, uh, so many different uh, versions. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, the ISIS Taliban K, and, and the Haqqani it, network keep and on and back. on. Yeah. It'll um, keep coming back. We have to wage so a, a ideological war. Yeah. Um, and, and this, again, is what I think was so um, frustratingly problematic about the immediate response to 9-11 by the Bush administration. And, um, we've just had an important conversation with uh, our friend Doug Fife, who was in that administration, but I, I really believe that uh, they were particularly uh, poorly served by people influential in that administration who encouraged them to deal with the Muslim Brotherhood as the representatives of the Muslim community in America, um, for the purpose most especially of indicating that they were not interested in waging a war against Muslims uh, in this war on terror. But in the process, failing completely to comprehend, let alone respond appropriately to this ideological dimension of, uh, well, Sharia supremacism, for want of a better term. And, and Zudi, uh, you have stood out as a Muslim American, as a patriot, in opposition to all of this. You have said the unsayable, really, about some of the, well, uh, preeminent figures in the Muslim world, uh, political as well as theological. You've challenged, for example, this organization of Islamic cooperation. And tell us a bit more about it and how its agenda, as you've suggested, is, is really just the flip side of the coin of uh, al-Qaeda and Taliban and, and other violent jihadists. Yeah, you know, uh, as, as well-meaning as some conservatives can be, you know, when President Bush was well-meaning, went to the mosque in Washington and stood next to the Nihad Awads and the Isnad leaders, many of us looked horrified, saying, you know, this is the lowest hanging fruit syndrome. These Muslims that they're claiming to be representing us are really a byproduct of the Muslim Student Association and the entire civilizational movement funded by the Saudis and others at the time. And you know, before they came to their epiphany just a couple of years ago with the Trump administration, uh, they were funding the Brotherhood for, for, for two generations in the West. And massive, exactly. And the issue is, is, is the West and conservatives especially sort of uh, gave Muslims a pass. They, they didn't want to look behind the, the screen at the mosques uh, and see what the books were on the shelves that said, uh, kill those who leave Islam, uh, cut the hands of those who steal, uh, uh, marital rape is okay. All the other list of uh, litany of medieval practices that the, the many refused to uh, acknowledge existed. And many of us Muslims who are honest will say, you know what, we have to own this. Al-Qaeda is a symptom of a deeper disease. ISIS is a symptom. It's going to keep coming back because the cancer, which is supremacy, supremacist Sharia legalisms, if you will, that dominate uh, the the legal structure of our communities continues. So the OIC is a, a conglomeration, what I call the Islamist mafia, of, of countries that are run by either petro-billionaires uh, uh, or by military dictatorships 
that insist of controlling the masses through an opium and many of, of religion. And many Muslims in those communities don't want those thugs running our communities. And we're offended by whether it's the left progressivists that work with the Louis Farrakhans and the Khomeinis of the world or the right conservatives that work with the Muslim Brotherhood or the Islamists that that tell us, you know what, these are the masters that you're going to continue to have run your community. No, many of us own it and say, no, we don't want them. There's other Muslims. If you really believe in diversity, there's those of us that reject Islamists, but we don't have the petro funding. We don't have the bandwidth of Al Jazeera and Press TV and and. Russian media assistance and all the other uh, global media that's uh, augmented the Islamist movement and also there are hundreds of millions that do follow them. I mean, Jamaat Islamiyah out of Pakistan, the Muslim Brotherhood out of Egypt have hundreds of millions of followers. So this is not a small movement. By by conservative assessments, it's a, uh, a plurality of the Muslim movement around the world. So you're talking four or five hundred million people minimum out of 1.6 billion. So this is a massive movement. And the rest of us Muslims are either asleep or not really organized. So if there's anything we do 20 years after 9-11 is we need to start organizing the non-Islamists. Yeah, let, let me come back to that because that's where I want to finish up, uh, Zudi, what we need to do now uh, and what those of us who are not Muslim but very supportive of what you're talking about can do to help. But before we do, there seems to be one other thing that's operating here, and I think we have to be honest about it. Uh, it, it may be that people are asleep or it may be that, that they're you know not, uh, not paying attention. It seems to me that many Muslims, um, yourself being a notable and commendable you know, exception, are terrified to take on uh, the authorities of Islam, uh, the Sharia supremacists, the imams, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood operations and organizations and activists, um, and, and with good reason. Um, it, it's not Islamophobia. It is a, an appropriate fear of being treated as you yourself have been. Um, ostracized, condemned, um, you know, made unwelcome in your mosques, or, or even threatened outright. Because after all, all of this can be construed as apostasy, right? And that is a capital offense under Sharia. Talk just a little bit about whether that's at work within your community as well and how we can overcome it. Yeah, I mean, in my book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam, I talk about the fact that we might have, our families may have come here to be free and practice our faith and our own interpretation that we thought we could uh, just let generations re evolve and reform, but it's not going to happen unless we own it and unless we lead it. And as I had family in, in Syria and Aleppo uh, fighting against two sides, one side shooting chemical weapons at them from the Assad regime and the other side of ISIS uh, going through their towns and, and beheading and, and torturing people that don't follow their form of Islam, you sort of, re our families realize that this is our time to fight for freedom. And uh, it's the least we can do to thank the West for giving us the freedom is, is to say, you know what, we own this, we're going to lead it, but we need help. And the, yes, there's fear. That's what the Islamists want to do. They want to scare uh, Muslims into submission. You see women uh, protesting in Kabul and in, in Tehran, uh, ripping off their hijabs, saying that this is our right to to have our own bodily autonomy and they're tortured and men that protect them are tortured even more because they're the biggest uh, threat to uh, the Islamist ascendancy. So this is a generational battle. It will continue for, for quite a while. And Americans need to have no qualms at taking sides within the House of Islam. We can't sort of look at it from afar and say, well, let them figure it out themselves because the Islamist side is being aided by our biggest enemies, be it China, Russia, uh, etc. It's not something that's happening in a test tube just among Muslims. There are others taking sides and our biggest enemies 
from the left to the uh, Islamists are working together and we end up being a minority in those who believe in freedom unless we start picking sides and working with those who share our values and truly want our religious freedom. This is such an important point and it brings me back to the something you said earlier, the red-green axis, the hard left in America, as well as other countries around the world, having made now common cause with the jihadists or the Sharia supremacists, as you will, if you will, this is this is what you get when you allow. Um, I think very different ideologies uh, in terms of their end states, but a common a commitment to totalitarianism and a common perception that the impediment to the realization of their, uh, well, caliphate in the case of uh, the supremacists of Sharia and, you know, a worker's paradise or some other kind of uh, communist state, super state, that they will nonetheless work together to try to take out that impediment, namely the United States of America. Dr. Zudi Jasser, you have stood against all of this um, courageously, forcefully, sometimes controversially, I will grant, but still, I think you deserve great credit for your articulate, passionate commitment to freedom and your work to try to bring about the necessary reformation of Islam so that it no longer is governed by these theocrats or by the totalitarian practice of Sharia that they insist is the authoritative Islam. Keep up your great work, my friend, at the American Islamic Forum for Democracy and your work at the Center for Security Policy, of course, and I hope you will come back to us frequently in this uh, period following our commemoration of 9-11 tomorrow. Thank you for being part of it today. Thanks to all of you for being part of it as well. I hope you will join us again for more of Secure Freedom Media on Monday. Same time same station. Until then, this is Frank Gaffney. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Secure Freedom Radio with Frank Gaffney.